it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlight. Enjoy the episode. Hey, just a language warning for this episode. This episode has been brought to you by The Afterlight Institute. The Afterlight Institute is a community of teachers and students seeking to expand their spiritual gifts and their inner wisdom on the road to illuminating their forgotten selves. Offering online courses, in-person retreats, live events, online expositions, and more, the Afterlight Institute is a safe and inclusive space for all. To learn more, head to theafterlightinstitute.com. Lauren Grace here and welcome to the show. Today on the show, I am joined by Denise. She is also known as Quiet Coven. She is an eclectic witch living in New York City. Her practice centers on kitchen, forest, and folk magic with a Celtic or Celtic influence. She forges and wildcrafts her witchcraft tools and supplies as much as possible, but also embraces the reality of city witch life in the urban jungle. Denise has been featured in Coffee Table Coven magazine and shares her witchcraft practices on Instagram at quiet.coven. Denise is joining me today to talk about all things modern witchcraft, but we're going to be focusing primarily today on her work in the kitchen. Denise, thank you so much for joining me from your fabulous Manhattan apartment. In case there's some background noise, letting our listener know, <laughs> bringing them into the fold. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about some kitchen magic. Me too. And I have to commend you, first of all, on just the quality and the absolute beauty of your Instagram account. It's uh, when you when you're perusing through Instagram, I, when we find someone, I'm sort of speaking for everybody, I guess, that, you're, that you gravitate towards, you <laughs> tend to go and look at their grid, which is all the posts that they've done previously. And your work is just so extraordinarily beautiful. Do you take all those images yourself? And how important is it for you to get the, the proper photo before you post it? Well, thank you. I take them all myself and I actually shoot the entire thing on my phone. I'm a stylist by profession. I'm actually a food stylist, hence the, oh, the kitchen magic. That's very convenient. Yeah. So there is there is a certain level of perfectionism that I try not to get caught up in when I'm shooting my rituals for the grid, but that I think is like inherently in me as a stylist to be like no but I just want the smoke to just like go a little to the left <laughs> in the next frame <laughs> but I also I think that there is there is some some like magic in beauty I know that I I like to make a really beautiful ritual space and I think that this is just a personal thing but when the space that I'm working in is really like beautiful at least by my definition I feel like it's even more sacred like the ritual is somehow elevated. It is so much of witchcraft is being in like the right mindset, like the mindset that makes you feel powerful and feel like you're in a sacred space. And so for me, making like a really lovely setup is definitely part of like building that sacred space for working in. Yeah, and I would agree with that fully. Later on in our conversation as well, I am going to ask you a bit about rituals and maybe some of the non-negotiables that you practice as well. But before we get to that, where did the name Quiet Coven come from? I had the idea for putting my practice on online and taking photos of it for the first time because 
prior to the Instagram, I was practicing, but I wasn't like photographing my rituals. But I had the idea on a hike uh, that I was on. And I was thinking about witchcraft and I was thinking about all the broom closet witches and all, all of the which are, which are just people who have not yet publicly proclaimed, you know, to their family and friends that they practice. Yeah. And I just started thinking about how I would love to create like a space where they could get ideas or they could even share some of the things they're doing without having to be public, how you could kind of practice quietly at home. And so I came up with, with quiet coven as if like I and my followers are the quiet coven. I'm not in the broom closet, but I wanted to kind of create a space for people who are, because I think that there's a pretty large uh, quantity of witches who do not practice publicly. Yeah, I would agree with that. So have you always been out of the broom closet or was this a transition that you had to make? Yeah, no, I haven't always been been out of the broom closet. I grew up Catholic. My family, though, is not, they're not religious, particularly. I mean, I like to say that we're culturally Catholic. Okay. <laughs> like I grew up very deeply steeped in Irish American like culture, which is very heavily influenced by Catholicism, but my family is very accepting. And so I would say that I sort of came out like in stages of like, oh, this is a thing I do. Oh, this is something else I do. And it just sort of all added up to them being like, oh yeah, Denise is the witch. <laughs> It's so funny because I think when, you know, people think about witchcraft in general, they think about maybe dark magic or they think about somebody, you know, in their dark room ban doing banishing spells and curses and things like that. <laughs> How do you think that, you know, the maybe the interpretation of modern witchcraft has evolved over time? Do you think social media has helped with it with people like yourself stepping out and going, hey, you know, this is who I am and people maybe finding their place within that? as well as people maybe understanding that what they first thought witchcraft was all about is probably not true. <laughs> yeah, I do definitely think that the kind of renaissance that we're seeing of witchcraft on social media definitely influenced people to realize that like witchcraft is not all like, you know, devil worshiping or banishment hexes. Although of course there are people who do all of those things and that's mm -hmm. totally fine, but that there's lots of different sides to it. I think there's also been you know, in the last maybe decade, a big sort of like new age renaissance happening and witchcraft crosses over a lot in a lot of ways with like yoga and affirmations and meditation and getting into that mindset of like being calm and zen and, zen and centered. And I think where those two intersect is start is like a, a really great like intro place for people who are maybe like, oh, that's a little scary to be like, no, no, it's just, you know, you light this candle, you focus on this affirmation. It's not really always intimidating or like a dark mm. smoky room. Although I love a dark smoky room to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And some of your images do have a little bit of that dark smoky sort of vibe to it. And they're just stunning. So I know that your practice centers on kitchen, forest and folk magic. Is it a Celtic or a Celtic influence? And when did you first sort of find that those were the directions that you wanted to focus on? I say Celtic, but I think that that's really like a regional thing. I say Celtic too. <laughs> yeah, I think that I kind of came across that path naturally, which I think is the case for a lot of witches. You know, you just sort of like you research all the different kinds of witchcraft and the different features and you, you kind of just are gravitating towards what like speaks to you. I'm a really big hiker and backpacker. And so I was out, I'm out in the woods a lot and I was just naturally drawn to like woodland plants. I've always had a really deep connection with pine trees. 
And so I think forest magic just kind of came across, I came upon it naturally and it just sort of adopted me and I adopted it because I was out there amongst the trees and it just made a lot of sense for me. Mm -hmm. um, kitchen magic, I mean, I am, I'm a cook by profession. I love to cook. I love to cook for the people I love and to make things that, you know, when you have a dinner party, you want to foster like a joyous, well, sometimes you want to foster like a joyous, maybe even riotous, like a little bit, maybe a little bit drunk, a little bit excited and laughing mm -hmm. like um, vibe, or maybe you want more of like a, like a, a salon vibe, like you're all really talking and sharing ideas. And I started thinking about foods and drinks that would sort of influence people towards one or towards the other. Um, and like that, I mean, that's kitchen magic. That's, that's what you're doing. You know, you're, you're stirring your intentions into the food and creating yeah. things that really make people feel a certain way. Um, and the Celtic influence just comes from being very, very Irish American. I, I grew up in a very Irish American part of the country. I was very surrounded by Celtic influence all the time. I mean, my family was Catholic, but really those two things, Catholicism and witchcraft are super close together. They are, there's a lot of overlap. You know, my grandmother used to have all of these Celtic rhymes about everything. You know, if you saw some crows, she'd be like, how many are there? You know, <laughs> because, you know, one is for sorrow and two is for joy. Three is a girl and four means a boy and it goes up to seven. So I think the path you walk just sort of like comes to you as you're walking. You know, if you think of witchcraft, it's like you're just kind of walking through the woods. Eventually you'll just gravitate towards the things that that you're meant to hmm. you know when I when I look at you and you're speaking you really do encompass you just seem very grounded and really secure in who you are so for me that would make sense that you would easily maybe find your way that you're really connected with your with yourself going out in nature makes me feel as though you're really good at being in the present moment how important is self-awareness, self-care, and self-exploration in finding your place within modern witchcraft? For me, I think, you know, I think modern witchcraft is different. I think that's one of the beautiful things about modern witchcraft is that everyone's practice is so unique and so like tailored to them and their needs. For me, self-awareness and like knowing myself, loving myself, being, you know, really living like in my body has been a really important part of my witchcraft experience. I, you know, I'm, I'm in my thirties, so I've had a little, a little time to get to know myself and what I like and what, you know, makes me happy or makes me feel content or safe or grounded. Uh, but I think that even for someone who doesn't yet necessarily know themselves, and of course, like I'm still learning myself, we're all still learning ourselves, yeah. <laughs> but even if you you know, we're at a point where you don't really know yourself yet. I think that witchcraft could be a great way to do that. I think a great way to start a witchcraft process, especially if you maybe aren't as in touch with yourself and your, you know, your needs and your wants and who you really are, would be meditation. Kind of can see like what comes up for you and what thoughts you have. And, you know, it's a good thing to acknowledge them and then try and release them during meditation. But I think that that can be a very informative process of knowing like, what are the things that come to you when you're in like a quiet mental space? Mm, yeah, I agree. So I have been referencing in our conversation, modern witchcraft, but you know, you practice folk magic with a Celtic influence. So I guess what I'm wondering, I feel like a lot of modern day witches are having challenges sometimes with stepping into their power in that way, because potentially they don't have witchcraft in their lineage. So I was wondering mm -hmm. for witches in their lineage. I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. Yeah. So 
I would say that though I talk a lot about folk magic and being a Celtic witch, my practice definitely is modern. The unfortunate reality of Celtic magic is that a lot of that knowledge was lost as Christianity took over, you know, Ireland and Scotland and the, the Celtic homeland. I don't actually know if I have any witches in my lineage. I mean, my grandmother was very superstitious and she definitely had some behaviors that I consider witchy, but she was also like go to church multiple times a week, uh, level Catholic. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think in that regard, stepping into your power, it can be intimidating because, you know, you meet people out there in the interwebs who say they're an eighth generation hereditary witch. And that's amazing. <laughs> that's great. You know, maybe they were raised from childhood in that power, but I believe, and this is a personal belief that we all carry magic in us and we all carry an incredible power and energy in us and that you just have to becoming a witch is just taking that power and embracing it and trying to bring it out into the world. And that can be very scary and very intimidating, especially if you're going to do that and then you're going to proclaim to the people you love that you're doing that. I think sometimes it's great to start practicing and then worry about being public about it later because the two things together can be a lot right away. Mm -hmm. So even yeah. if one were to just privately step into their power and just start really small, you know, meditation, maybe lighting a candle when they feel drawn to that that's like a great way to start yeah I think that's a great idea there's so much pressure on people to be a certain way that very often we can get off you know we can get on the wrong track if we're not listening to our inner truth and you know kind of like you said maybe going one step at a time is it just a graceful way of of incorporating this change so when you first were exploring witchcraft and you know spirituality do you consider yourself to be spiritual as well or witchcraft and spirituality interchangeable do you think for me witchcraft and spirituality are absolutely interchangeable I would go as far as to say that I think witchcraft is my is my religion now I mean I don't mm -hmm. have like a set religious kind of structure but it is the closest thing in my life to a religion now mm -hmm. And yeah, I would say that it is, it is, you know, for me, it is a form of, of worship to the higher powers. I'm just not super specific about like what those higher powers are. Mm -hmm. Aside from meditation, you know, where do you kind of develop your, your knowledge and, and your skills? Do you read other people's work? Do you try things out? And that's kind of how you learn. Do you listen to, you know, the sounds of nature and you chart your own course in that way? all of the above. <laughs> uh, my practice definitely involves a lot of research. I love to learn. I love to read. So I have read, I've read a lot of books. My, my first interaction with like witchcraft, not just like being a child and being like, Ooh, I think I'm a little intuitive. Ooh, was that dream prophetic? But like being like, I'm going to find out about this was going to my local library and just hitting that Wiccan section so hard, just reading all of it. And I'm, I'm not Wiccan now. I grew up in the 90s, and that was kind of the main source of information on witchcraft at that point, where it was, was books about Wiccanism. And so from there, it kind of evolved, you know, as witchcraft kind of grew, the non-Wiccan witchcraft world kind of grew. There's been a lot of books written about that. I love uh, Green Witch by Erin Hiscock Murphy. I like all of her books. They're all great. I also really enjoyed Erica Feldman's House Magic. That's a great book for beginners. Mm -hmm. uh, but I also spend a lot of time on the internet <laughs> reading all sorts of things. Uh, there's actually a great 
website called Learn Religions that can educate you on just all types of faiths and religions. They've got plenty of great witchcraft stuff, but they have information on any, you know, faith or walk that you might be interested in. And they, they do great research. I mean, I, I think they do great research. I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a professional uh, researcher or anything, but I think they do a good job. They cite their sources. But I also go out to nature and just sort of look around, see what the plants are doing, see how they're interacting with each other and with the ground, you know, what's blooming, what's dying off. And I base a lot of my practice around that, especially if I live in New York City, so I can't get to the woods all the time. But whenever I do go, I would say that all of my rituals the next few weeks tend to be based off of like what I found, what I saw, what was happening in the woods. And then I do also do a certain amount of just sort of, you know, you do a tarot reading, you think about what it said, what does that mean for me? What could I do to sort of amplify the parts of that that spoke to me? There is a certain amount of play involved, I think, in the whole thing. You know, you look at your your candles and your supplies and you think about what you need that day and what you want. And you're like, how could I? you know, how could I do this? How could I create the energy that I want to create today? Beautiful. So let's talk about ritual. You know, let's talk about whether or not you have a daily ritual, whether or not ritual just sort of happens to you while you're in the, in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, I do have, I have a ritual every morning, which I think is a pretty, a pretty common one in the witchcraft world, which is that I do stir my intentions into my coffee. I like to stir three times clockwise, but people should do what they, you know, what they feel. While I'm stirring, I think about what the intention, or sometimes it's just an affirmation that I want to set for the day is. Maybe it's, I am loved and supported. Maybe it's just like, you got this girl, <laughs> you know, for <laughs> a very hard job. You just stir your coffee and like, you got this girl. I do also like to start the day with a little hot lemon water, which I think is, it's a very small ritual, but you know, lemon brings joy and energy and it's a very positive, very solar herb. So I like to start with a little lemon water. I do that actually even before my coffee. But then in the, you know, in the evening, sometimes I do a ritual after work. Sometimes I'm really tired. <laughs> sometimes you just do a little meditation to let go of the day. And you're like, that was nice. I'm done. Good night. So there's some things I do every day and some things that I do sort of as needed or as they come to me. I do like, like today is a new moon. And so today, if I have time, I don't, you know, some days you don't have some new moons, you don't have time for this. But when I do, I like to strip my altar down completely until it's just the tabletop and then clean it with like a high soft decoction, which is like a nice purifying. Uh, it's basically like a tea that you've steeped for 30 minutes and then you, you remove the high soft and it just becomes like a nice purifying cleansing cleaner. Then I wipe the altar down with that and I completely rebuild it. You know, I, this week I even took, I have a printer's tray with like a hundred tiny little compartments and I took every single stone and shell and thing I found in nature out of them and I cleaned the whole thing. And I think that's a great, like a new moon ritual like that where you really, it could also be a ritual bath. It could be something that's cleansing for your body. It could just be cleaning your house. But I think it's a great thing at the new moon to sort of sweep out all the old energy and invite in new energy. And while I'm redoing the altar or while I'm putting back together my house, if I cleaned it, I think about like, what is the energy I want to invite in this new moon? You know, do I want to invite in gratitude for everything in my life? Do I want to invite in love or like a cozy, peaceful environment? And so I did that today. And that's a pretty, you know, being a new moon ritual, that's about like a once a month thing for me. Mm, beautiful. When did you first realize that putting an intention into your coffee or, you know, into the foods that you're creating made a difference? Do you find that you have a different reaction if you, for example, 
don't stir an intention into your coffee versus stirring intention into your coffee? <laughs> Have you ever done the, the test? I haven't ever like mentally been like, I'm not going to stir in an intention today. I'm going to test it out. But of course there are days when you, you know, you have to wake up at like five for work and you just got to get out the door and it probably doesn't happen. Um, I think that that's a very, especially the coffee thing is a very like personal, it just impacts me thing. So mm. I do think that it's, it's something I would notice, but it's very like, if I do it, it puts me in a better mind space. And if I don't do it, maybe I don't notice that I'm not quite in as clear or as like calm of a mind space, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> um, as for food I share with other people, uh, I would say that I started really thinking about the uh, environment I want to create or the way I want people to feel when they consume my food, maybe like, gosh, like six or seven years ago now. Um, for a while, you know, this is obviously this before the pandemic, I was hosting a lot of dinner parties for friends. And I was always trying to create that like peak dinner party, like everyone's laughing, everyone's happy, everyone feels like they are exactly where they're meant to be. And these are the people they're meant to hang out with. And like, what a great time they're having. And I started thinking about that a few years ago and like how to how to do that, how to put those intentions into things, whether it's putting a little hibiscus in the lemonade so that everyone feels like, ooh, that person next to me is pretty attractive, <laughs> or putting a little mint in the tea to make everyone feel peppy. <laughs> but it could also be as simple as, you know, I have a friend who loves mashed potatoes. And so like, she loves them. And so every time she would come over for dinner, I would make mashed potatoes because I knew it made Brooke happy. And I knew that Brooke would be in like peak good Brooke mood if she had some mashed potatoes. So it can be as simple as that. You know, it can be about the, the foods you use or the herbs you use, you know, maybe you seeds and something for abundance, or maybe you just make your friend's favorite food because that'll make somebody happy. That's so good. Did you ever watch the movie like Water for Chocolate or read that book? I have not. I have meant to, I've heard it's very good, but I have not actually read or watched it yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write it down now so I remember because that's the second time it's been suggested. Yeah, it's so beautiful. And it's just so funny because in that book, you know, there's sort of the intention of if she's crying into her cooking, then her dinner party essentially is ruined and everyone's <laughs> crying. And if she's joyful and full of love, then, then they have the opposite reaction. You know, when I'm reading through your Instagram and your different recipes, and even just listening to you speak now about creating the ultimate dinner party, you know, you kind of do realize that a lot of things are intentional. And when we're eating or consuming food or, or drink, you know, we are very often consuming an emotion. So like, for example, if somebody's going to eat a chocolate cake and they're going to eat guilt or shame because it's maybe a fatty meal, then they're putting that into their body. Do you think that you can, you know, maybe turn that around? So for example, if you were going to make a chocolate cake, can you make a chocolate cake and go, this isn't going to add calories. This is just going to nourish my body to the, <laughs> like, can we take it that far and, and take it to that level? Cause this is, this is opening up an entirely new world of me of possibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Sure, I could move the calories from a cake just yet, but I do think that I could create, you know, between between the cake and the maybe the environment that you're serving it in. I think you could create an environment where people who might, if they were going to eat that cake on their couch at home, they might feel guilty. But if they're having it with you and you've 
sort of created this happy, joyful environment around it that they could eat it without that guilt or that shame. And of course that, you know, that's different for everyone. Some people have a relationship with food that's much harder to get over things mm-hmm. like that with. And, but for other people, you know, in the right environment, a slice of chocolate cake will totally not make them feel guilty. Yeah, exactly. Do you find that, you know, by putting an intention into the cooking or the food that you're preparing, that you're essentially blessing it, like almost setting a prayer? I know for myself, I bless all the food that I eat while I'm eating it. I always, I just have this little prayer that I do. Do you kind of liken it to be similar? Yeah, I would definitely say that, you know, that's a great point that I'm not sure I've ever fully thought about. I mean, certainly there are times, especially for a meal, like a, say a feast on Maven before a ritual, when like, as I'm putting it down, I am also like um, on the table. I am also like mentally like blessing the whole thing. But I do think that even just creating the food with intention is a certain type of blessing. I mean, it's the blessing of whatever your intention was. So if you, if it was like love for the people you're going to serve it to, it's a blessing of love. If it was, you know, maybe the meal you're serving to someone before a big job interview would be a blessing of success. Mm. So yeah, I would say that, yeah, that is very akin to blessing, mm. which is, thank you for, for asking that. Cause I hadn't really considered that oh, before. My pleasure. And for our listener at home, you know, there's a really amazing episode with Julie Ryan. If you go back Uh, It's the second conversation with her where we talked a lot about the power of prayer and especially when people are praying for people who are sick and, and how that, you know, is really helpful. And that, that's what was sort of making me think about that, Denise, that if you're like being intentional about blessing or putting a prayer into something, it kind of magnifies the properties within what you're working with. So I do think it's, it's definitely a cool conversation. Have you always loved being in the kitchen? Have you always loved cooking? And, and how do you keep things fresh? I, I remember listening one time to, I don't know if it was a podcast actually, or a book I was reading. They said that the average person eats like 12 things, 12 of the same mm-hmm. things. And for me, <laughs> I love food, but I'm a bit of a lazy preparer. I would say like last night I was home alone. I had cereal for Mm -hmm. dinner, you know? So I guess I'm just kind of wondering how do you continue to be inspired? And are there days when you're just not as inspired or is that just not even a thing? There are definitely days when I'm not as inspired. I mean, there are days when we order takeout, we live in New York, we live in Chinatown. So there's a lot of great takeout. There are days when I order takeout. Oh yeah. Um, But I have always, (laughs) I have always loved to cook. I've always loved to be in the kitchen. I come from a big family of cooks on both sides. Not too much of a struggle for me to to keep it fresh. I do not have a culinary education. Like I did not go to culinary school. So there are still lots of times in my in my food styling job where I'm cooking something for the very first time when I arrive on set that day. And I think that really helps to inspire me, you know, it's a new way of doing something and I want to try it. But I think that like, you know, anyone can experience that on the internet. There is a there is a wealth of, of food resources out there. For me, sometimes cooking at the end of the day, when I feel, you know, a little stressed or a little bogged down or run down by work, cooking can actually be a great, almost meditative way to kind of clear my mind and let it go. For me, that can kind of, I can kind of like, not, I don't want to say not think, because like, obviously you're thinking while you cook, but like, I can kind of let the rest of the stress go and just be like, all right, searing this broth and it's just it's coming together beautifully. It gives me a moment to sort of give thanks. I do, I love to cook. And I mean, also I think there's a 
a great sliding scale of like what we would consider like a lazy meal and like one person's lazy meal might be like cereal or takeout and someone else's might be like I just rub chicken thighs with some herbs and I put them in the oven and I think for some people that's a lot you know like that's that's a whole production the more you cook the easier it gets you know, one of the things that I have challenges with in the kitchen are herb blends. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you kind of recommend that people just try things out? I mean, that's where magic really can happen that you don't need to limit yourself. Yeah, I think it's great to kind of play in the kitchen the same way I think it's great to kind of play in your witchcraft practice. You know, if it goes wrong, the worst that happens is that you have one you don't love. I think a great thing to have can be sort of to get to know a few herb blends that you like. And if you want to bring kitchen magic, you could say ones that you like and that also have like benefits that you that you want on a regular basis you know rosemary is sort of the kitchen witch's best friend it has so many properties you know it can bring you abundance it can bring you good health it can bring you joy some people use it as a love herb a lot of people use it for protection i use it mainly as a protective herb it's also great for purifying and cleansing but rosemary also tastes fantastic <laughs> like it's so good on you know everything from meat to vegetables to like I like a little rosemary and like my scones or my muffins or something else sweet. So it can be nice to mm. kind of start with something, you know, you like, like, you know, you like rosemary and be like, and today I think I'm going to put in a little thyme. Thyme also has a lot of great magical properties and those two go together. Well, as you do that, you know, you can keep a list. That's like something that I I've done over the years is that I have a list in my, in my notebook or my grimoire of you know, all the herbs I use a lot and what their various properties are, research I've done and things that I've read, but also like, what are the properties from those that I feel they've really been a star at for me? Because like how you use an herb and what you use it for might change a little from which to which for sure. So yeah, it can be great to have sort of like a list going, you know, whether that's on your kitchen wall or in your notebook of like, you know, basil is great for love and time is also good for love, but it's also good for prosperity and for health. And you can kind of like go from there and be like, okay, so today I would love to really amplify joy. So for that, we've got like orange peel, we've got basil and those, those go together. Okay. But maybe they don't go together like on beef. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you're talking, it does make me feel super excited about being in the kitchen. And, you know, when you're listening, when you're talking about adding rosemary to muffins or scones, you know, all I want to do is eat. <laughs> I was wondering whether or not you feel it's important to eat for the seasons. This episode has been brought to you by the Afterlight Institute. Ignite the light, magic, and miracles within. Yeah, I love seasonal eating. You know, there are some things that I largely like only eat season seasonally. Like I buy lemons year round, but I kind of only buy oranges in the winter because that's when they're best, which is great because there's also a lot of like winter magic that you can use oranges in. And they add a great like pop of color in what is otherwise a very, here in New York, a very gray season. Uh, and I only really like to eat tomatoes in the summer because they're just not good the rest of the year, at least not here in the Northeast. And I do, I, you know, I, I find that there's a certain amount of like a natural draw for me to eating seasonally. I think this is true for, for many people, you know, in the fall, I crave squash and I crave apples and the apples and squash are both at their best in fall. And I think there is definitely power to that, especially if say it is, it's late spring and you want to make an abundance dish. Well, it would be a really great addition to your abundance dish to use a bunch of seasonal, abundant, bountiful berries. Because berries both 
symbolize bounty and abundance, and they are at their most bountiful in late spring and in summer. So I think that it does add like a little extra power, you know, to your day. Whereas in fall, if I wanted to make an abundance dish, I would probably use roasted butternut squash seeds. Seeds also symbolize abundance and bounty, and there is an abundance of roasted squash seeds in fall. So great. I love talking about food. This is one of my favorite conversations to have. So I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. I love food. Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? You know, when you're cooking, you talked earlier about how it's sort of meditative in a way when you are being intentional about setting, you know, you're putting your affirmations and stuff into the things that you're creating. I guess I'm wondering whether or not you have any strategies for yourself, knowing or unknowingly, that you do to help you get out of your head. Because, you know, you mentioned how maybe sometimes you might get home from work and you're tired. Well, if you're going to cook, I would imagine that you need to kind of stopped marinating on on what happened that day and what he said she said and you know the 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 different things Mm -hmm. to really come down to where you are in the moment so do you do this naturally or is it something that you go I'm going to leave the day at the door and I'm gonna you know kind of step into my my magical world yeah um I would say that one of my big sort of like let the day go and restart things I guess I have two one is that when I get home, I like to completely get changed. I, you know, I, I put my apron from work in laundry. I put on comfortable clothes. And then before I start cooking, I put on a new clean apron. And there's something that's very powerful about like putting on a new, fresh, clean apron and then like going into the kitchen and taking out my knives and getting started. It really makes me feel very like clean slate, like let it go, start over. And the other thing that I do to sort of release my day is that I do like to come home and I smoke a bowl or I smoke a joint. And, you know, that really helps you kind of like, let it go. <laughs> let, you know, let that cake yeah. that burned in the oven at work, just go. <laughs> Gives you some perspective, does it? <laughs> yeah. Just like, these are all small things. Release. <laughs> yeah. Do you cook with, um, with marijuana in you know, in general, or do you just normally just smoke it? Uh, I largely, I, I ingest it by smoking it. I do sometimes cook with it. Some people don't metabolize it when they eat it and they have a hard time feeling the effects of it when they consume it. Like my father can eat a very large quantity of edibles and still be stone cold sober. And I find that I like mm. half inherited that from him, but I do like to cook with it. Mm. I like to make weed chocolate and Usually when I cook with it, I put it into dirt. I have a pretty serious pollen. I mean, just like a ragweed seasonal allergy pollen and marijuana has a lot of pollen in it. So I personally don't eat it raw because it makes mouth itch. <laughs> um, but I know that some people do oh. eat it raw. <laughs> I have to cook it or my mouth itches. But I do, I like to cook with it. I like to make my own tinctures, especially like a honey and weed tincture is like a really nice thing. And you can stir that into your, into your tea and stir in some really calming and relaxing intentions. Very cool. I love that. It's not, um, marijuana is not legal over in Australia, but if you are in the States, that might be an option or in Canada, it might be an option for you or other parts of the world where it is legalized, then yeah. definitely go for it. And 
when you're talking about tinctures, mm-hmm. is that essentially kind of like syrups or herbal concoctions, yeah. like oils and things like that? How- so tinctures are usually a concentration of herbs that you take orally and they're suspended in a liquid. The three most common tincture, like liquid based liquids are alcohol. And in that case, you want to use like the highest proof you can to really like leach all of the, the good bits out of your herbs. Glycerin, which I personally don't do, but some people, especially depending on dietary needs like to make glycerin tinctures or honey and honey unless you heat it and I do I heat mine in a double boiler you don't want to heat it straight but I heat it in a double boiler it doesn't leach as much out but if you do heat it in a double boiler and then you really let it sit a long time you can make a tincture that's just as powerful as an alcohol one but has like a great sweet flavor which is nice because I'm not that into alcohol Mm. yeah and I guess it just comes back to what you're talking about sort of off the top which is really just honoring your own path and listening to what is going to be right for you and and paying attention to that. And, you know, when you're speaking about all these sort of things, it, it sounds to me like you have a lot of fun, like it's your happy place. So do you think that, you know, following joy and following bliss is really important in whatever type of witchcraft you're going to be exploring? I do. I do think that if your witchcraft practice is not bringing you any joy or any bliss, or at the very least, any like peace and contentment, then you should definitely consider maybe a different path. You know, something on it is not fulfilling you if you're not feeling any inner peace from your practice. I think that, you know, feeling peaceful, feeling like this is fulfilling me is a pretty integral part, at least of my practice. My practice is definitely my happy place. (laughs) So good. So if somebody was going to, you know, get started in the kitchen and they went, wait a minute, you know, all of these things that you're talking about really appeals to me. This is the the person that I want to transform myself into is to being comfortable in the kitchen and, and making the kitchen my happy place. What are some suggestions that you have for them to get started? You did mention putting on a clean apron is putting on an apron part of your you know, kind of non-negotiable in the kitchen. You did talk about knives, our sharp knives, or maybe having some tools that you use in the kitchen for different things. Is that, is that something? How would you sort of recommend people get started? I think that, you know, everyone's practice is going to be, to be different. For me, putting on an apron as part of cooking. It's, you know, it's something we do at work. It's just sort of built into, into like how I think of cooking. Uh, but I do think that something you can physically do before you even start cooking that kind of makes you feel like okay I'm ready you know gives you like I'm a chef feelings is great so if putting on an apron makes someone feel that way then do it absolutely do it as for sharp knives I mean I think you should keep your knife sharp just because that is uh, how you avoid hurting yourself most most knife injuries are the result (laughs) of a too dull knife people I think don't realize that they think a sharp knife is dangerous, but actually it's a dull knife that you're going to cut your finger off with. Do you recommend keeping your knives sharp? I love my knives. I think again, this is, you know, because I am a food professional, I bought nice knives, but I didn't just go out and buy like the nice knife everyone, you know, has. I looked around at the knives out there and I waited until there was a set that I felt drawn to. And so I have beautiful Japanese knives, but one does not have to spend, you know, a ton of money to get that either. You just want to feel a connection with your tools. You know, you want to have some tools in your kitchen that you feel really good about. I have a bunch of frying pans, but I of course have my favorite frying pan, you know, like this is my green cast iron skillet and everything I make in it is always good. It's kind of how I feel about it. Um, and that's great, you know, to have sort of like a friendship or a kinship with the tools that you work with, whether that's in your practice at your altar or in your 
practice in the kitchen. So good. And I love how you're talking about how everything that you make in your green frying pan is good. Therefore it is because you just believe it. Yeah. And so therefore it is. That's so much of it. I think that's a lot of it is just, you know, believing. Yeah. I think a lot of witchcraft in general is just being like, this is going to be so because it's, it's, this is what I believe. This is what I want. And so it's going to happen. But of course, you still have to go out there and, and, you know, make things happen too. You can't manifest something, walk away and think that tomorrow you'll wake up and have it. <laughs> you have to put in some work for it too. Very true. You have to turn the oven on before you put the chicken in basically. <laughs> yes. I like that. Very wise words. So if somebody is um, wanting to maybe start off with some simple recipes on, uh, you know, putting some intentions into something that they're cooking. Do you have maybe one or two examples that you might be willing to share that our listener at home can maybe attempt to try and, and kind of talk them through that? Sure. So I think a great place to start would be jam because you can make jam with really almost any fruit. You know, a lot of people put pectin in their jam. I don't, I don't put pectin in any of my jams and I'm here to tell everyone that you don't have to put pectin in your jams. Um, so my basic ratio for making a jam is that for every pound of fruit, and that's with, you know, say you're using pe peaches, that would be with the, the stones out. For every pound of fruit, you want about a third a pound of sweetener. And ideally, you do want to use, especially when you're just starting out, you do want to use sugar. I, at this point, do use some honey and some maple syrup. But when you introduce that, you're introducing liquid, which kind of fucks with your ratio. So I recommend starting mm -hmm. with sugar. And so it's a third of a pound of sugar at every pound of fruit. And you just mix those together. And then you put in, you know, some herbs to suit your intentions. Maybe you want to make uh, like a self-love jam. So for that, you would either pestle and mortar or spice grinder up a little bit of hibiscus, like a dried hibiscus until it was a powder. Or you could use rose petals if those are more like easily available to you. Either of those taste delicious with fruit. And you would add that into your pot. You want to use a big pot along with your fruit and your sugar. And I would say like about depends on the herb, but for hibiscus or rose, about like a tablespoon per pound of fruit. And you just cook it. You just cook it over like a medium low heat. And at first all the fruit will release its juice and you stir it every once in a while, you know, maybe every 10 minutes or so you stir and you stir in that intention as you stir, you know, you think about like self-love. I like when I'm stirring in my intention to envision my intention as if it was already happening. So instead of just stirring and, and thinking like self-love, I'll stir it and I'll imagine myself like looking in the mirror and thinking like, wow, you're so beautiful and you're so powerful mm -hmm. and you got this girl. Like, you know, I'll stir it and I'll imagine myself really accomplishing my goals, doing the thing and feeling proud of myself for it. And that could be true of anything. You know, if you're making a love potion, you'd close your eyes and you'd imagine you'd envision that relationship working out. And you cook the jam beautiful. until it's basically until it's jam, until it looks like jam you bought at the store, but a little thinner because it's going to, it's going to get thicker as it cools. Um, and if you want to get that texture spot on, you pop a plate, just like a, not a plastic one, like a stoneware plate in your freezer. And then after about like 10 minutes, take it out, put a little spoonful of jam on it, let it come down to room temp. And if it's a jam texture, you're done. And if it's not quite a jam texture yet, keep cooking it. Things like apples will actually, instead of becoming jam, will become apple butter. I find that that's a longer cook. That's more like three to four hours versus like one to two. You know, you want to start with more fruit than you think you need. The other day I made apple butter and it was about seven apples made about 16 ounces of apple butter, which is about uh, a pint. So yeah, so, but it's pretty, you know, I think jam intimidates people, but it's actually very, very easy. 
I'm really glad I'm hungry while I'm talking to you. This is fabulous. <laughs> I'm like, oh, can I make apple butter? Can I make jam? What do I have in my in my freezer, in my fridge? That's wonderful. Now I know off the top as well, you you and I were talking before I hit record a little bit about apple crisp. It's my favorite. So do you have an apple, apple crisp apple recipe crisp. that you might be willing to share <laughs> for me? I do. <laughs> I'm pulling this out of my grid. So um oh here we go all right there you go so you just want to cut up enough apples to fill like your your pie pan or your dish you know usually I make it in a pie pan and that'll be about five medium-sized apples you can also totally make this with pears I like to toss my apples with about like maybe about a teaspoon of cinnamon and then about like two or three tablespoons of either brown sugar or maple syrup. If you do maple syrup, you may want to also toss a little bit of uh, cornstarch in there because again, the maple syrup is a liquid. If you toss it with brown sugar, if it's apples, no need to add any cornstarch. And then for the topping, I'm allergic to nuts, but if someone wanted to sub in nuts in this recipe, that would be fine. Nuts also carry a very strong abundance and bounty correspondence, just like seeds do. There's a lot of like interchange between herbs. You can frequently find something to replace something else. So you could also use nuts for this, but I use seeds. I use one third cup each of pepitas, which are pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. Sometimes instead of the pepitas or the sunflower seeds, I'll use the white pumpkin seeds that still have the shell on. I'm never really sure what to call those versus the green pepitas. And then you mix those together. I like to chop the larger ones, the sunflower seeds I leave whole, but the pepitas I chop up a little. And then I toss those with a quarter cup of brown sugar, one third cup of flour, and then I take five tablespoons of cold butter and I chop them up small and I kind of like work that in. You could use a pastry cutter. I like to use my hands. Um, <laughs> I find that like really like putting my hands in the food makes me feel kind of connected with it. And like, I'm really like, I'm doing something. I'm releasing these abundance energy and I'm just like getting it going. In my line of work, we put our hands in the food a lot. And so that could be born out of that. And yeah. so then you you pop your apples and your brown sugar and you toss it up in your pan and you just cover it in that crisp topping. If you're using a really big pan, you might have doubled the crisp topping. The ratios I gave were for more like a pie pan. And you want it to be pretty well covered because as it melts, it somehow seems to become more sparse. So <laughs> I just coat that <laughs> pan in it. And then you bake it at, and this will be a Fahrenheit temperature. You bake it at 350 degrees for like, you know, I would check on it after 20 minutes and then maybe turn it and then come back after 30 and check it. It'll probably be done before it hits 40 recipes that I write out for the Instagram. I have, when I'm cooking them, I'm writing down the amounts and that's, I translate them to the Instagram. But for myself, when I cook, if I'm not going to share it, there really is no, there's no measuring. So everything I've just said is sort of an estimate. This is a mm -hmm. recipe that really it'll work. Even if you, you know, if you double something, if you have something, it'll work, it's going to come together. But I like to mm -hmm. cook very like intuitively and I don't do a whole lot of, of measuring or recording. My husband is always on me about like, this was so good. Did you write down the recipe? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'll just make, I'll just make it again. It'll be something like this. It'll be close. <laughs> do you taste as you're cooking as well? And how important is it to do that if you do? I love to. I I do. Um, it is actually, it's kind of hard for me at work to resist sometimes doing that in situations mm -hmm. where I really shouldn't. But when I cook for myself <laughs> at home, absolutely. I mean, I don't really know how anyone else knows how pasta is done if they aren't tasting it like if you're not putting that piece of pasta yeah. in your mouth out of the boiling water and like lightly scalding your mouth and then being like no nah, it needs another minute 
I, I don't know how else to tell, tell us pasta is done. I remember I learned um, about spaghetti. My mom taught me this, that you take a spaghetti noodle out and you throw it mm -hmm. against the wall. And if it sticks on the wall, it's done. And if it bounces off, it's not done. But I don't think you could do that with other types of pastas, <laughs> just spaghetti probably. Yeah, I don't, think the, the ziti, I don't think the ziti will stick to the, the wall. Penne, so well. penne probably wouldn't work very well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Denise, we are at the end of our time together. I'm wondering whether or not there's anything that you wanted to talk about today that I didn't ask you. I'd love to, um, to give you an opportunity as well now to talk about your beautiful Etsy shop that you've got and uh, encouraging our listener at home to connect with you on Instagram, but the platform is your sister. Take it away. Hi. Uh, so yeah, so I do, I have an Etsy. Um, I sell, Sometimes I sell ritual kits. I think I'm going to be leaning more into that in the next few months, selling kits for people because I get a fair amount of messages on Instagram from people being like, do you do spell work for money? Um, and a lot of people do that. And I think that's like a totally great thing. But for me in my practice, I think there's like a lot of power in someone doing the spell or being part of the spell or the ritual themselves when it's for them. So I sell some spell kits and I think I'm going to kind of lean into that over the next few months so that, you know, people can, can be part of the ritual rather than just asking someone else to do it for them. I also sell like anointing oils for candles and I sell, I also sell all sorts of like balms. I, like I said, I have a very uh, strong connection to pine. And so I sell a lot of pine resin balms because I, I just, I love pine. I love the smell. They're very healing. They're very moisturizing. And pine is very protective. So it's like a little protection you can wear on your body. I do also have an Instagram. I would say that's like the best way to connect with me uh, is my Instagram, which is quiet.coven. I share a lot of my, my practice there. I don't share my, I think this is kind of a, a common misconception. I don't share all of my practice there. There are definitely elements of my practice I like to keep to myself. And I think that that's yeah. like a powerful thing that everyone should have, you know, parts of their practice that are private and that are personal for themselves. Agreed. But I share a lot of my practice there and I share a lot of rituals that have worked for me uh, that I hope, you know, other people can find value in. And yeah, that's kind of what I do. Fabulous. And when are you going to be releasing the cookbook? <laughs> uh, in, truth, <laughs> in truth, I do. I hope one day. <laughs> yes, it is. It is something I'm working on. We'll see where that goes. Very good. Well, thank you so much for being here and being on the show and for um, all your wisdom and your passion and just, you know, uh, showing up in such a beautiful way on social media as well. And uh, I will put a link to all your stuff in the show notes as well for our listener at home for easy access. Thank you so much, Janice. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great to talk to you. It was lovely. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcasts and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.